In this episode of Full Stack Radio, I talked to Jessica Lord about building desktop applications with HTML and JavaScript using Electron. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 48. Hey everyone, before we get into the interview today, I just wanted to share a few quick updates. So I'm still hard at work on the test-driven Laravel video course, which is a comprehensive set of screencasts that I'm working on that's going to teach you how to build Laravel applications with TDD. So writing all your tests first before you write any code. Uh, It's going really well so far. It's going to cover lots of kind of interesting features like stuff related to billing code or testing things that interact with a file system or third-party APIs. You know, how to use test doubles to speed up your tests and stuff like that. So uh, it's going to be pretty cool. I'm really excited to share that with everyone. So definitely head over to testdrivenlaravel.com and sign up for updates if you haven't already. Uh, I'm also going to be speaking at Pacific Northwest PHP in September. So if you're on the West Coast and you're looking for a, a PHP conference to check out, I would highly recommend that one. It looks like it's going to be really fun. It's got a, a great lineup. I, I know Taylor Otwell is going to be there speaking and, and lots of other people talking about lots of cool stuff. So definitely check that out. Uh, that's all I got. So on to the interview with Jessica Lord. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Full Stack Radio podcast, where I talk to people in the software industry about everything from user experience and product design to unit testing and system administration. Uh, my name is Adam, and today it's my pleasure to be speaking with Jessica Lord, who's an engineer at GitHub on the Electron team. How's it going, Jessica? It's going great. Thanks for having me. So um, I guess the first thing that I'd like to know is maybe could you just like introduce yourself and talk a bit about what you do at, at GitHub on the Electron team? Yeah, sure. Um So I've been at GitHub a little over three years now, and the last year and a half, I've been on our um, Atom and Electron team. So starting first a year and a half ago, moved on to the Atom team, and then last summer started working on Electron and creating that team because it really wasn't a team before then. So we are now a newly formed team. team at GitHub. And so we are working on all kinds of stuff. So our first big thing that we worked on that we shipped in May as a team was the Electron 1.0. So I was working on the Electron demo app, which is an Electron app that demos the Electron API. So it's kind of meta, but it's also really cool. And that gives you all kinds of code samples and stuff and shows you really what you can do with Electron and um, other stuff we were working on are stuff to make building Electron apps easier. So more developer tools and stuff like that. Awesome. So I guess for anyone who's not familiar with Electron, would you mind kind of just going over, if you can, I guess, kind of the history of it and where it came from and what it's for? Yeah, sure. So Electron started out because of Atom. Um, GitHub wanted to build a text editor with JavaScript, HTML, and CSS. And so they looked at a few things that already existed, um, like NWJS and Chromium Embedded Framework, and nothing was quite right for what they were looking for. And so that's how Electron came to be, was they needed it to exist so that they could build Atom on top of it. And so really it kind of existed just as this dependency for Atom for a while. Um, when Atom was open sourced, you know, they open sourced everything with Atom and that included Electron, which was actually called Atom Shell back then because it was just, you know, part of the Atom suite. Um, but P3 
people kind of started to notice that Adam Shell was really useful. So people started using it. Um, some big companies like Microsoft and Slack started using it. And so it kind of became clear that it was becoming its own thing. And so that's when we gave it its own name and website. Um, and then, like I mentioned, formed this team around it to try and better support developers using Electron, making it easier to get started and adding a lot more APIs. So when it first came out, you know, it really, everything in it supported Atom, right? Because all the APIs in Electron we added because they were APIs that Atom needed. But now so many people are building on Electron all kinds of apps and, you know, not just text editors. And so they're contributing a lot of new APIs upstream because of, you know, cases that they're hitting when building their apps. And so Electron Now is this really robust platform for building desktop apps with HTML, uh, CSS, and JavaScript. That's awesome. Yeah, I think... um you know, a lot of people kind of assume, I guess, that uh, it has to be like kind of a pretty stripped down environment. First of all, I guess to be cross-platform and because you're supposed to be writing everything in JavaScript and HTML, I think people might often think it's meant for like, you know, just creating web views and wrapping them in apps and stuff like that. I'd be interested in hearing like, based on kind of what you were just talking about, what are some of the things that have been like added to it as a result of some of the more complex needs of some of the people that have been using it? Yeah, well, so... Well, first about that, um, which you mentioned, like wrapping web views, it's more than that, really, because first of all, it has node everywhere in Electron. So you in your HTML, you can write node. And that is that really is what makes Electron this magical, <laughs> mystical place is because um, back end and front end and native desktop app are all the same space now. Uh, and so when you're writing an HTML file, you can just start writing Node and you can access the file system and use that to update the DOM. And so it's this really cool place where, like straight off the bat, you have that kind of, let's say power, there's probably a better word than power, but um, yeah, you have that ability to do really cool stuff with Node. And then, of course, you are also having the latest Chrome. So all of the cool stuff that comes with Chrome and everything that Google is shipping with that, you also have access to. So straight out of the box, just having Node and Chrome together, designing for one browser with cool features and using Node is already pretty awesome. Um, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Like it really opens the doors for a lot of cool things. Like when I started playing with Electron, like you were saying, like realizing that I could write you know javascript that's meant to interact with the dom that could like watch for changes on the file system or read things from the file system as if it was like an api or something was pretty amazing it feels like something that you had never seen anywhere before right this ability to interact like with someone's computer from the web it feels like almost yeah yeah it's super it's really it's a it's a fun development environment like i've also heard a bunch of people um talk about using it as a starting place for teaching people to code, which is something I hadn't thought about before, but is really an interesting idea because there's nothing people need to install, right, to set up a dev environment. Like if you have Electron, then you've got Node and you've got a browser, and there is that blurring between front end and back end, and it's just this space where you can get people to just start coding. 
Yeah. I think the other thing that's cool about it is uh, because of the fact that you're just shipping with like the latest Chrome, you only ever have to worry about like, does the latest Chrome support the features that I want to use? Or does this render correctly in the latest Chrome? You don't have to worry about little differences between, um, you know, browsers and stuff like that. I feel like it, it almost makes a strong case for building a desktop app over a web app in a lot of cases because it kind of removes a lot of the things that might suck up a lot of time. Right, yeah. Um, there is there is a new thing that you have to think about. So going back to what you mentioned, like what kind of APIs are in Electron and stuff. So you do get to design for one browser, which is awesome, but uh, the new thing you have to consider, you know, coming from the web and then to building a desktop app with Electron is you have to have some sort of familiarity with these different platforms. Well, depending, I guess, depending on the quality of app you want to build, right? But um, terminology and things are different between like Windows and Mac from using the word settings or using the word preferences. And so there are nuances like that that you need to be aware of and then have some sense of what each platform can do, right? So notifications on Windows I think just exists from Windows 10 and up, whereas it's there for longer in Mac. So if you're building an app with notifications, there are things like that that you need to know, like, is it going to be capable? How, how much of these things will exist on both platforms if you're building these specific features? Um, but people are adding a bunch of APIs to do stuff. We have really good Windows support, like, the, um, the Slack team and there's a team at Windows that are adding all kinds of great Windows support. There are people already adding um, the Mac OS Sierra APIs <laughs> for things that are coming in that. Um, so there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of cool support for AP, like platform specific stuff like in Mac you can have the dark menu bar or the light menu bar like you can detect that but of course that's a mac only api because that doesn't exist in windows but then there are similar things in windows where you can detect like what kind of theme the user is using so um when you are when you're developing electron apps you get to design for one browser but you do need some sort of awareness about the differences between the platforms that you're shipping to so how many people well I guess maybe not how many people, but does it seem like one of the biggest draws to Electron development is being able to create things that are cross-platform easily? Or is it some of the other features? Like, I guess for me personally, I find Electron to be a really interesting environment to work in, even if I'm just building something that I only intend to release uh, for Mac users, for example. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it's more about the ease of using Electron in general because I do see, you know, a lot of people will still just release a Mac one even though it is pretty easy to also do the Windows one at that point. But yeah, I think it's just the fun of writing an Electron app and not necessarily. I mean, definitely for some people, right? Like for it, I guess it depends on what you're doing. Some of maybe the smaller outfits or People who are in a smaller startup and are just launching a product may first just launch it in Mac with intentions of working on the others later. But some people who are just working on like a fun side project may really just feel like releasing it for one and not worrying about the others. But definitely, you know, the Slacks and Microsofts are interested in having it work everywhere. Cool. So I guess I'm um, kind of going back to what we had started talking about there. I'd be I'd love to know more about 
Uh, what are some of the interesting APIs that Electron offers, especially for people who maybe haven't worked with Electron before? And uh, what are some of the cooler ones that you guys have been adding recently in response to kind of some of the needs and stuff of the people that are using Electron to build complicated stuff? Yeah, so you say so you say interesting, and I'm like, well, these things are interesting, but uh, maybe on a certain level. So like, one of the things I thought of was like an API so that you can have the option on Mac to have your app startup on startup for the user. So I don't know how exciting that is for everybody, but like that's a new and interesting thing that people are using. So is that something that someone might put like in a preferences window or something and they can like check it and that'll set it up to be something that starts on? Right, yeah, exactly. So previously on Mac, it was still, the user could manually go into their settings and go into the startup tab and select your app and they so it was possible for the user to manually do it that way but now there's an api in electron so that um, you can actually add that into your app's preferences awesome what is kind of like the installation story like when you're bundling up an app that someone needs to be able to install like i know the electron apps that i've used on my mac i feel like they all just come as like dot app files and they're kind of just self-contained and i open them and it's fine um, on windows and stuff is there like an installation process or are there some people developing electron apps on mac that need to be like one of those pkg files that actually has like a wizard or anything like that <laughs> um yeah for mac you just deliver the dot app file um but for windows you can do a Windows installer or you can just do the straight EXE. So it's it's up to you and your app. Cool. Yeah, so I guess uh, getting back to the, the APIs and stuff, uh, you mentioned that cool new one for uh, being able to specify that an app launches at, at startup. What are kind of some of the kind of standard ones that Electron kind of came with out of the box. So we can maybe just talk about those a little bit for people who haven't worked with Electron before and are interested in, in what you can do with it. Yeah. Um, so the most standard ones I would say are the ones around um, your basic operating system functions like open a file, save a file, um, display an error or display a message dialogue with an option. Um, having access to those native UI elements is really like core electron things, right? So you can have a file and you can save it to the user's file system and you can give them that native interface where it asks them, you know, it pops up the, the dialogue and asks them to name the file and hit save and that kind of thing. So your app is fully integrated with their operating system. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank Rollbar for continuing to sponsor Full Stack Radio. So one of the frustrating things about being a developer is dealing with errors, of course, right? You know, either you rely on your users to report errors or you're digging through log files trying to figure out what went wrong or maybe you're hooked up to an existing tool and you got millions of alerts flooding your inbox all day long. Uh, Rollbar is like a full stack error monitoring solution. And with Rollbar, you get the context, insights, and control that you need to find and fix bugs faster with a lot less noise. So Rollbar's really easy to install. You can start tracking production errors and deployments in eight minutes or less. It works with all major languages and frameworks, including Ruby, Python, JavaScript, PHP, Node, iOS, you know, you get the picture. If you're a Laravel developer like myself, there's actually a package that you can use that integrates with Rollbar really quickly. So Rollbar also integrates with a lot of different other tools, like it can send your errors to Slack or HipChat or create new issues in GitHub, Jira, and stuff like that. And uh, for full stack rate, 
radio listeners, Rollbar actually has a special offer where if you sign up at rollbar.com slash fullstackradio, you get access to their bootstrap plan for free for 90 days. So you get like 300,000 errors tracked for free. So give Rollbar a try. Head over to rollbar.com slash fullstackradio to try out the bootstrap plan. And thanks to Rollbar for sponsoring the show. Are there any like... um? common limitations that people run into when they're working with Electron? Like what sort of things are not possible with Electron that you might need to jump down to working directly, you know, in uh, Swift or Objective-C or C-sharp or whatever, for whatever platform you're working on? Yeah. um, You know, there's so much that you can do in the browsers now. I feel like there really isn't, for most people, you don't have to do anything in native code, but but for some people, um, if it really depends on like if you're using, if your app is really focused on video files or editing music and things like this, where you may want native code in there to really optimize it, you can. But there's still so much that you can do without having to go there. Um, I would say that was more of the exception. Um, so it's more about like stuff that is hard to do in a performant way with like JavaScript and stuff more than it is about like having access to features afforded by the operating system. Yes. Yeah, exactly. What sort of things do you see people like butt into and stuff when they're trying to get started with Electron, like common obstacles or mistakes people make? Yeah. Well, so I would say understanding this new Electron context, right? So earlier I mentioned that with Electron, you know, there is no back end, there is no front end, um, but there is a new thing to learn about, which is Electron has two processes, and developing your app depends on understanding these processes and using them correctly. So there's the main process, and then there's the renderer process. And the main process is the life cycle of the app. It's where you're writing your JavaScript that starts the app, closes the app, and then it creates all the renderer processes. And so sometimes I like to compare it to the main process. You can think of if you have Chrome open, but you close all the windows, you'll still see it in your menu bar. It'll still say Chrome, file, edit, view, all of those things, right? So that's the life cycle. From that point, you can close Chrome or you can open a new window. So that's like the main process in Electron. And then each renderer process is like each window and tab you have open in Chrome. So you use the main process to create these renderer processes and then that renderer process is the actual visible part of your app. That's where you write your HTML and you create all of the UI that people interact with. and. So those are the main two roles of those processes. But one thing to know is that all of the native UI um, work in Electron will happen in the main process. And that's because it's more of an intensive operation. And in your renderer process with the stuff that people are seeing, you don't want to be calling things that are going to block that process and slow down the scrolling or loading of how that works. So you actually send off every time you open a file dialog, you send that off to the main process to do, which leaves the renderer process that the users are seeing to be free from stuff that's going to slow it down. And you can actually create a lot of 
JavaScript in your renderer process that could slow it down too. That's not even using the native dialogue stuff. And a thing people will do is create a new invisible renderer process to sort of farm off these tasks. And so it's, it's a way to run all these things in the background without having the main visible part of your app slow down in any way. Interesting. So I guess, how, how do you deal with like communication between like um, a renderer process and the main process? Like if you're saying if I needed to, if I'm understanding correctly, if I wanted to pop open like an open file dialogue, like say Adam is the example or something, and it's going to open that file in a new tab or whatever, that has to get kicked back to the main process or it should get kicked back to the main process. And then when that's done, that like kicks back to the rendering process to tell it to open the contents of the file or? Yep. So there is um, an Electron module um, one of the core modules that comes with Electron out of the box called IPC Interprocess Communication. And there is one for the main process and one for the renderer process. And that it does exactly what you just described. So when, if you say, if you, you have a button that says, you know, click to save file, you would have your normal DOM JavaScript that said, like, you know, listening for that click event, but then in that click event, you would use the IPC renderer to send a message to the main process saying, now is the time to open up that dialog. And so the main process will open up that dialog and whatever the user does, you know, they name the file, they hit save, it will send that information back to the renderer process and then you can update your DOM in whichever way you need to after that. Yeah, it makes sense. It's it's pretty complicated, I guess, for coming from working directly on the web to have to start thinking about things like that. Um, if you've never you know built anything that's like a multi-process or or anything like that, uh, is there anywhere that you would like point someone to learn more about like how that stuff uh, works in Electron if you're just trying to get started with it and haven't had any experience with that sort of uh, you know, set up before? Yeah, um, I would recommend the Electron API demos app that I mentioned earlier. That t- it shows you examples for using all of these common Electron APIs and then shows you specifically this is the main process code, this is the renderer process code, and this is why it was done this way. Cool. Uh, one thing that I've run into that um, I found a lot of kind of different opinions on online and things started to get real complicated when I started trying to go down this path was what it's like to use um, JavaScript that requires like a build step when you're building stuff with Electron. Like say you want to use React and JSX or something in your Electron app. Um, Mm -hmm. What is your recommended approach for doing that? Well, you can, that's interesting. Um, You can, (laughs) you can really use it and the way that you I guess would normally write um, a node build step, right? You can use grunt and all of this and have everything build before the app kicks off. And so I haven't used any of those myself actually, um, but that's how I would do it. Yeah, I guess like the way that I've been doing it is I almost have like two kind of separate projects set up. Like there's like the main project with this, like the Electron app and it has like a package.json, which, you know, specifies kind of the dependencies that are needed because it's an Electron app or things related to specific um, like 
optional electron modules and stuff and packages that people have written for it. But then I also have this kind of area that needs to like build into like another folder before electron like reads from that folder, because maybe I'm doing stuff that uses JSX and needs to like transpile that down. Or I actually use a library called Vue.js a lot and they have like this build step to be able to have these like component files and stuff like that. But some of the things that I've heard people say you have to be careful of, which I don't know much about is like something about how there's some um, node packages and stuff that need to be built specifically for different platforms, like stuff that is like C level written packages and stuff. And I'm not really uh-huh. sure how that works with Electron. So if I'm building something that I need to bundle for three different platforms and I need to make sure that it compiles like the right version of a package or something, is that something that you actually have to like actively think about or? Yeah. So, so I think that is a separate issue than using um, like how you build for those frameworks specifically, but more, it's more about using native modules in Electron. And you're right that um, those native modules need to be compiled to use the same version of Node that Electron is using. And there can be situations where where that goes wrong and it compiles incorrectly. Um, And right now there is... There's a thread on this because part of the challenge is how Electron is actually combining Node and Chrome in the same space. Um, so both Chrome and Node use V8 as their JavaScript engine, but the latest Chrome and the latest Node may not be using the same version of V8 in reality, but in Electron, they need to. You know, there's only one V8 in Electron, and it's shared by Chrome and Node. And Electron always uses Chrome's V8. So what we have to do is patch Node to work with that version of V8. And so that can throw off how the native modules are compiling. And so if you are dealing with native modules, then there are um, things that you have to look out for with that interesting yeah it kind of brings me to another question i guess which is i mean what are some of the interesting challenges and stuff that you face you know working on electron uh itself when it comes to trying to you know build the tool itself uh i guess kind of stuff like you're talking about there yeah so that is a big part of it what i just described of uh, making node and chrome share the same v8 would be one um and another is updating Chrome. Usually the most, like if any regressions, there won't be regressions really with the Electron API, but updates in Chrome can break things. And so usually after a Chrome release, there are some quick patch releases once those regressions are found. But I think we have it easier than other projects because um, other things like NodeWJ or NWJS use a lot more of Chrome and are patching a bigger part of Chrome, and so Chrome upgrades are harder. We are just using the rendering library of Chrome, so just the part of Chrome that knows how to draw a web page. And so um, while there are sometimes regressions, like on the whole, like we've got it easier um, than other projects. 
Just wanted to take a quick break to thank a brand new sponsor of the podcast, and that is Shippo. So Shippo is a shipping API that connects you with over 15 different carriers like FedEx, UPS, USPS, Canada Post, Uber Rush, all in one integration. So you get a single API that lets you compare shipping rates and create shipments and stuff between all these different carriers. And it's a very modern developer friendly API. So you don't have to worry about integrating with kind of old junky APIs or pulling in legacy libraries for these different providers or anything like that. It's really easy easy to use and really developer friendly. So it lets you do things like compare shipping rates across different carriers, uh, print discounted shipping labels or validate shipping addresses, track packages, all sorts of stuff related to getting shipping rates and shipping packages and stuff like that. So you can get started with Shippo in under 10 minutes by connecting directly to their API or using one of their client libraries, which they have available for languages like PHP, Ruby, Python, or Node. So you enter your package and address information, select your preferred shipping service, and by default, they offer discounted USPS and DHL accounts so you don't need to bother signing up for one yourself and then you print your label and you're good to go. One of the coolest things about Shippo is that using the API itself is actually free so getting shipping rates or validating addresses none of that stuff costs you anything. The only thing you actually pay for is when you actually commit to shipping something and get the shipping label. So you pay for the cost of the shipment and then Shippo just charges a five cent fee on top of that which to me is basically nothing for the convenience that you get of being able to use you know such a developer friendly service. So there's no sign up or monthly or hidden fees or anything like that. So to get started with Shippo you can head over to go shippo.com and get started uh, printing your first shipping label so thanks to shippo for uh, sponsoring full stack radio back to the interview uh, another question I have here actually is is there any like uh, cool resources or anything that you've seen that people have put together for uh, trying to help people make more native looking and feeling like electron apps like uh, UI frameworks or anything like that that you think are cool yeah there's one called photon kit and it is just for Mac. I haven't seen one for Windows or Linux, but it's all of the native Mac UI elements written in CSS. So that if you want the native sort of gray silver bars and buttons and things like that, that you can use it. Um, and not have to do those things yourself. Awesome. Um, what are some of the coolest Electron projects that you've seen kind of people put out there? Are things that maybe people might be surprised were built with Electron? Um, yeah, let's see. WhatsApp uh, released an Electron app, which was kind of cool because that's a huge <laughs> ecosystem or like user base that they have. WordPress has an Electron desktop app. Skype, actually, which we're on now, has a Linux Electron app. Is that like the main Linux client has built an Electron? Um, I'm not sure if it's the main client. I don't know. It happened a week or so ago, and I sort of skimmed the blog post, but they, I know that they released a Linux Electron version. Cool. Let's see... There's a lot of note-taking apps in Electron. <laughs> I recently, so we have on the electron.adam.io website, we have a slash apps page where anyone can make a pull request to add their Electron app. And it ranges from, you know, companies like Slack are on there, but then also there are people's weekend side projects on there and stuff like that. And I went through all of them recently and tried to, arrange like the typical like the most common kind of apps that people are building and like the categories that they fall into so there's definitely a lot of note-taking markdown editor apps um 
blog editors like um, Ghost and WordPress are on Electron. There are prototyping tools, quite a few um, prototyping tools for, you know, building out uh, interfaces and prototyping like what a responsive website looks like and that kind of thing. And then clients for existing social services or chat apps. So there are clients that will let you log into like every single chat app that there is in one <laughs> Electron app. There are cool um, streaming and uh, P2P apps. Yeah. Yeah, sounds like a, a lot of stuff. People doing lots of different things with it. <laughs> yeah. One of the cool ones that I actually found that is, um, I don't know, kind of silly in a lot of ways, I guess, but actually super useful is that Moji Bar app. Have you played with that one? Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, Moan works at GitHub. Moan Cho, who wrote that app and is a good friend. And I definitely, I usually, it's like one of the first Electron apps I recommend to people because it is super useful to let people know. Like it lets you search for emoji by keyword so you don't actually have to remember the specific name of that emoji. And then it will give you the emoji, either the emoji itself or the string with the colons around it. Um, but I also like to show that as an example because it's just a menu bar app. So Electron doesn't have to be like a full-blown app with a window in the middle of your screen. It can just be this really tiny app that does one thing and sits in someone's menu bar. And those, I feel like, are a really cool gateway into using Electron because it allows you to like scratch an itch, solve one problem, and get the experience of using Electron. Yeah, I think that's the thing that I thought was cool about it too, right? It's you when you first, I guess, hear about Electron, kind of like we had mentioned at the beginning of the call, you kind of assume, okay, it's like a tool for like wrapping up web views or something. Uh, and then as you start to like learn more about it, you realize, oh, it actually like has all these cool, like pretty deep uh, integrations with the operating system and gives you APIs for a lot of cool stuff. But when you start realizing that like, oh, wow, I can use Electron to build something that's like just a menu bar app then you start to realize that like it's more than just like something for creating web views. You know what I mean? Like you really start to understand like, or really kind of like opens up your eyes to kind of the possibilities and lets you start thinking about cool different stuff that you could do with it. That's like totally different than what you might've expected when you first heard about it. Right. Yeah. And you I mean, you could totally have, if you live in a city that has transit that has a real-time API, you can put, like, when the bus is coming in your menu bar, you can you can have an app that just tells you if GitHub is down and things like that. It's pretty awesome because the barrier to entry is really low if you're a web developer because right. now you can, like, build these cool little utilities for your actual operating system using all the tools and stuff that you already know. Yeah, Another thing that maybe would be cool to talk about, actually, I'm just kind of browsing this list of apps that you guys have on here. It seems to be like twice as big as it was last time I looked, and that felt like <laughs> it was only a couple of weeks ago. But uh, that Hyperterm app that uh, I guess was released pretty recently was getting a little bit of hype there. I haven't played with it myself, but what do you think about that as far as like a use case for Electron? Oh, yeah, I have been using it, and I really like it a lot. Um I think it's it's such a fantastic use case for Electron and it sort of like Adam, you know, came onto the scene introducing this idea of an extensible hack, like Adam's tagline is hackable to the core, right? Because when you're building a desktop app, 
with HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, these sort of ubiquitous languages, then you're building an app that a lot of people can actually dig into and customize. And that's, um, that's kind of how HyperTerm is too, right? So now your terminal is something that you can actually completely customize, which is really cool. It's, you know, the terminal, terminal is the place where developers spend a lot of time. And now you can really dive into it. And it's, um, it's super fast, and I really have been liking it. There's another there's another um, app called In One by Nihilus, which is the same kind of idea where it's an email client that's completely extensible um, and hackable with the idea of adding plugins and widgets and whatever you want into your email client. And so I like... I like this suite of Electron apps that really encourage you to build onto them. It definitely seems uh, pretty cool. I'm looking forward to uh, downloading it and giving it a go. I definitely agree. Like one of the things that to me is like most appealing about Atom is that it's it's so accessible in terms of how you write plugins and stuff for it because of the fact that you don't have to learn something new. Like I'm I'm a Sublime Text user still for the most part. But I always am kind of jealous of like when I have some idea for something that I want to write a plugin for, I have to kind of hack around and figure out how to do it in Python, right? Which is not a language yeah. that I work with day to day. And I can figure it out, but I don't feel like I'm doing it necessarily well. You know what I mean? I'm trying yeah. to apply like however I would solve on a different language to doing it in Python. And I never really know if I'm really doing a good job or not. But in, in Atom, it, you feel a lot more comfortable kind of, you know, using the tools that you use every day to customize it. Yeah. Another question, I guess, or another topic that I think would be interesting to talk about a bit is performance. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the things that I think kind of gave Adam a bad reputation for a while there, especially at the beginning, was that it just like felt slow compared to a sublime text, for example, that's like written yeah. natively. What is the kind of the performance story like these days? And is there any examples of like really fast electron apps that you would point people to to kind of get them to not worry so much about that kind of aspect? Yeah, so really, you can write really fast electron apps. And with Adam, Adam, first of all, if someone hasn't tried Adam in the last year or so, like Adam is getting faster all the time. But a lot of that has to do with the actual JavaScript and how it was written and not Electron itself and Electron's capabilities. It has to do with are you doing a synchronous call when you should be doing this async type of thing. So if you look at uh, Visual Studio Code, which is also written in Electron, it is really fast and I don't feel like when it came onto the scene I don't think that people said the same thing about it and so I think it proves that you can really optimize it and like I said hyperterm is really fast um, and so it's really it's up to the developer in a lot of ways and a, a lot of the people um, working on the streaming apps, I think like are, you know, showing that really like when you write JavaScript well, like it can be almost as fast as native code. Awesome. What like open source Electron projects do you think are cool that would be worth pointing people towards if they want to like kind of get an idea of what it looks like to build and structure an Electron app? Yeah. Um, oh, well, there are a lot of awesome open source ones, but I think a lot of people write them differently, which is um, with Electron, you know, there is no, there's no sort of 
scaffolding standards, you know, because you can be creating a really tiny Electron app that runs in the menu bar and you just have three files in the entire app. Or you can write something like Atom and it's, you know, a huge app and like um, Nihilus in one, um, which are really like full-fledged apps. And then you can use any framework you want. If you want to use React or if you want to use Ember or whatever your favorite thing is, right? So there are endless ways to sort of lay out your app. Um, and so, but I think um, Nihilus, I would look at Hyperterm also, um, the WebTorrent desktop app. Um, these are re really cool open source um, electron apps, but I think that you'll find that everyone <laughs> writes them a little bit differently. Cool. Well, that's, I mean, that's cool in itself to be able to go and see kind of the different ways people are using it and kind of see if there's anything cool that people are doing that you might not have thought to do that would be a good fit for your own app. Yeah. And there is, um, if you check out the awesome electron repo, we link to it from the electron website, but if you also just Google, um, awesome electron that has, a really great list of people have put together boilerplates for like every framework flavor. So you can, if you already know going into it, like, well, you know, I have experience with um, Angular, like, so I want to do that. You can go to that boilerplate and, or you can go there and probably find a boilerplate for your kind of, you know, what you're comfortable working in and get started that way. Cool. Sounds awesome. Um, is there anything that you are able to talk about that you guys are like working on or trying to improve or add to Electron coming up? Um, so right now we are really trying to, we're fixing longstanding bugs that have been there. We don't have a major thing on deck right now. Um, I've been working on some accessibility stuff that we're going to blog about like this week. It's technically already out, but we haven't um, blogged about it. But um, one thing is with websites. So a lot of the same accessibility issues that exist in website exists in Electron apps because you're, you know, the whole UI, the, the visual part is still HTML and CSS. But if you have a website, it has a URL. And so you can use all of these handy websites that will audit your app for you or, things like that. Um, but in Electron, your Electron app doesn't have a URL. So we use the, the same library that the Google Chrome accessibility DevTools extension uses to um, build in accessibility audits into the DevTron, which is um, a DevTools extension for Electron that just like in general will help you audit your Electron app. It will find like common Electron mistakes. It lets you see all of the IPC calls you're making and things that you're doing asynchronously and um, synchronously and things like that. So we're adding it to that and we're also adding it to, or I should say it has been added to, to DevTron and then to Spectron, which is a testing framework for Electron. So you can also just get the general output in your terminal of that accessibility audit. Awesome. Actually, that reminds me that I wanted to ask you about um, the testing story in Electron. So mm -hmm. uh, what is Spectron, I guess, and what you know, what makes testing an Electron app different than testing a, a browser app, or what are kind of the things people need to worry about, and, and what tooling is out there to make it easier? Yeah, so you can still do a lot of the same testing, like 
that you would do if you were writing a Node app. You can use whatever Node um, testing frameworks you usually use and still test in that way um, because very much like Electron apps are Node apps. Um, but um, Spectron has the WebDriver I.O. in it, and it lets you actually test the functionality of your Electron app and test the Electron APIs that you're using. So it will spin up your app. You know, it'll actually come up on screen. You can have it click through buttons and test. Okay, like I click this button. Did these things show up that should have showed up on this new view? Cool. That sounds pretty awesome. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, playing with some of that stuff. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to kind of uh, bring up or talk about uh, related to Electron before we get going or anything that you think people new to Electron should check out? Yeah, so new to Electron, my favorite thing to recommend is we have a thing called the Electron Quick Start. And it is a bare bones Electron app that just opens an empty window that says hello on it. And you can clone it and then run it and you have your basic Electron files, right? It doesn't prescribe any testing framework. It doesn't prescribe any like front-end JavaScript framework. It is just a single you know, index.html view that you get. But what's cool about it is because it's just so quick to clone and run, you get a really quick idea of like, oh, this is just an HTML file and I can just start writing HTML. So it's, I think it's a really good starting point for creating an Electron app. So, you know, don't even start by creating an empty directory. I would just clone the quick start and then start writing. Awesome. Well, what's the best way for people to kind of keep up with uh, what you're working on with Electron and kind of follow you online and see what you're doing? Yeah, we have a Twitter account, ElectronJS, um, and then we have the blog, and um, the blog has an RSS feed you can subscribe to. There's actually a really interesting post that came up this week about the Electron internals, so if you really want to dive into how Node and Chrome are working in the same space and how all the event loop is managed, um, there's a good post on that this week. So. We have posts in there that link to talks or interesting things or updates or, yeah, like diving into technical things like that. And I'm just starting today. Um, we Someone opened an issue on Electron saying that, like, they want to know all the, like, different kind of apps that people are writing on Electron. But it's kind of hard to just follow the page that lists all the apps because it's just a page. So... I'm going to start doing a monthly roundup of new apps that have been added for people who are wanting to see what people are building. Awesome. That sounds sweet. Thanks so much for coming on the show and uh, giving me your time. It's been a pleasure chatting with you about this Electron stuff. Yeah, thank you so much. So that's it for this episode of Full Stack Radio. If you're interested in checking out the show notes, you can head over to fullstackradio.com slash 48. Rate and review the show on iTunes. That's always helpful for getting us in front of more people. And if you're interested in learning more about the test-driven Laravel course that I'm working on, head over to testdrivenlaravel.com. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.